Hello and welcome back to season two of Alan Inouri's launch, this time recorded remotely. My name is Bianca Vasilake, and I will be your host on the podcast for demystifying the process of getting into law and exploring both the opportunities you will have in your legal career and, of course, what that career might take you. Today's episode is what does it mean to be an in-house lawyer? And in order to share her experience as an in-house lawyer, as well as some insights about the transition from private practice to in-house, we have with us Chantelle Dutois, who currently works as a senior legal counsel in the global litigation team at Shell. Prior to joining Shell though, she was an associate right here in ANO's International Arbitration Group, which is actually where I also qualified. Chantelle grew up in South Africa and has worked in various jurisdictions, including Shanghai, Kazakhstan, Moscow, Hong Kong, the Netherlands, and of course, London. Thank you very much for joining us, Chantelle. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So just starting with the basics, because some of our listeners might not know what the word in-house actually means. It's, I think it's, a very, it, it's very much legal jargon. So what does it mean? And how is it similar to or different from working in a law firm, the so-called private practice? So working in-house, Bianca, basically means that you have a legal function within a company or a business that is not a law firm. So like you said, I'm an in-house lawyer in the global litigation team at Shell. And what that means is I advise on a really wide range of Shell businesses on various pre-litigation or or litigation-related matters. So you asked me what the similarities are. Arguably, we are all in-house lawyers at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'd say there are a couple of things. Firstly, you know, this still a lot of client interaction. So at a law firm, your client is typically the in-house legal team. But of course, when you're actually in-house, your clients are the business lawyers and your other colleagues from around the company. The other thing I'd say is that many of the skills that I think that are required in private practice are equally relevant in-house. So effective stakeholder management, uh, strong organizational skills, time management, the ability to give clear, concise and commercial advice, etc. There are undoubtedly, though, a number of differences. So first, and probably the most obvious difference, is that in-house lawyers have much more involvement in the commercial and strategic side of the business and the way in which it operates day to day, rather than focusing predominantly on those pure legal issues that you'll find perhaps more in private practice. What this means is that you tend to get involved at a much earlier stage of a project or a case rather than being parachuted in once an (laughs) issue has subsequently arisen. Uh, The other thing I'd say is that the pace and dynamics of a a working environment in-house are really quite different. So you don't have billable hours for starters, which might be very appealing for some. You don't have to time everything in increments in minutes. You do not. My life no longer is run according to six-minute increments. You also tend to juggle a lot more and you turn yeah. your hand you know your hand to a variety of matters at any given time so of course in a law firm you know you typically work on a set number of deals or cases at any given time whereas yeah. in house you really could be working on four five six matters in a day which truth to be told can be a little like drinking from a fire hose at times but you know you really need to be versatile and to move between the cases with relative ease and and that's a great skill set to develop 
And then lastly, I would be amiss not to mention the hours. In my experience, in-house hours, look, they tend to be more clearly defined than in private practice. And that just means you have a bit more control over them. And by that, I probably mean that I may or may not have a better work-life balance than you currently do. (laughs) I mean, now I'm at home. So theoretically, there are no working hours. It's just all blended into one. Good good to know, Bianca. (laughs) Yeah. But this is really interesting and it's very helpful. And I think it's very much what I found when I went on client's secondment and I just experienced a teaser of the in-house life for about six months. So this leads me to the next question, which is, when did you first consider going in-house and why was that? So I was probably four or five years PQE when I seriously started considering an in-house move. And oh, I can say- I just say, though, yes. for our listeners, that an episode about the in-house role was actually your idea when... <laughs> When I, I remember when I was a trainee in arbitration and I was talking to you about this podcast idea and I clearly remember it being like, hmm, an in-house role episode would be pretty interesting. Uh, obviously, I was uh, priming myself for a starring role, Bianca, <laughs> in advance. <laughs> yeah. So look, so, so I was probably around that four or five year PQE mark when I started considering it. It probably took me another year or two to actually take the plunge. And I'd say the main reason for the the move was that as I was progressing at A&O, you know, I had more of an opportunity to start managing some key client relationships and working very closely with clients. And what that gave me was real insight into their business model and their operations. And I found that I really enjoyed that more commercial aspect of my role rather than just the pure legal work. And so it was really that desire to, you know, get involved in the more substantive commercial and strategic side of the business that, that drove the move in-house. I, like you, also then had an opportunity to do a client's comment, which I can speak about a bit later if, if that's helpful. And I really enjoyed that. And it just confirmed that desire that the move was the right one for me. So then you decided to make the transition. You're like, this is it. I want to change. I want to be an in-house lawyer. How did you go about finding the right opportunities for you? Because I assume as the in-house role is different from private practice, the variety of in-house role is actually quite broad. So how did you go about just finding that that role that appealed to you the most? You're right. It is really broad and differs significantly, obviously, between industry. So as a starting point, I think it's really important to make sure that you're getting the right experience under your belt, right? And so for some of your listeners, that's going to be aligning your experience with the type of in-house business that you might want to go to if if you have a preference. So in my case, Bianca, I had a very keen interest in the energy sector. And most of the cases I had worked on related to energy and construction disputes. And that put me in a really good position to answer the question in interview, why Shell? Now, of course, not every company is going to have required you to have worked in their industry. But it's helpful to be able to show some sort of interest in that area and to maybe point to examples of cases or matters where you've worked on uh, that subject matter. The other thing I did was to try and find an opportunity to do a client's secondment. There really is no better way of answering the question, why in-house, than being able to point to an example and say, because I've done it and it was great. And, you know, a number of recruiters, when I was speaking to them, they really hammered home this point. And so, you know, I took some active steps to try and track down those opportunities. And ultimately, I did have a chance to spend three months at a client, which was wonderful. Mm -hmm. 
Look, it's not a deal breaker. I really think there are people who are listening who maybe won't be able to get that opportunity because they can be pretty rare. But I think that if you are in that situation, you've really got to think about that critical question of why in-house? And it might be that you can point to other examples where you've worked really closely with an in-house legal team and you can say, but actually I gained really core insight into their roles and I feel like I've got a good understanding of what they do day to day. And I should actually just add on the topic of recruiters, I do think if you're looking in-house, you should really speak to a number of different recruiters. It's a little different in my experience to law firm recruiters where you know firms sometimes instruct more than one recruiter on their behalf to kind of find a candidate. My understanding from and my experience from in-house recruiters is they tend to have quite different client contacts. So it's worth speaking to a couple of them so that they can keep you on their radar when they're speaking to the various clients. The other thing is to keep an eye on LinkedIn because a lot of companies advertise in-house roles on LinkedIn. Okay. I think that's very useful. So in terms of how to prepare for the transition, you mentioned essentially follow LinkedIn, speak to several recruiters because they have different sets of contacts. Indeed. Try to get experience in the industry sector that you're thinking of. Mm -hmm. Very importantly, if you can do a client's secondment, at least to get a taste of what in-house life would be like and Mm -hmm. whether it's for you or not. Were there any other ways in which you prepared for this transition? I mean, before joining Shell itself, you know, I spent a lot of time learning about their business, the energy transition strategy, the kind of cases they'd been involved in. You know, I knew that there would be an enormous amount to learn when I actually joined. But I do think that initial investment of time, it just gave me some confidence and it meant I, I had some idea of the landscape before I was joining. The other thing I did was, of course, you know, speak to A&O team members who have worked with Shell in the past, and they um, were very willing to share their insights and experience. Uh, What what I should say is what was particularly fun was returning to A&O some two weeks after leaving as a client. (laughs) And uh, one of the partners I used to work for, he just grinned and shook my hand, and it was brilliant. And uh, I was tempted to put him through the ringer, but decided to play nice. (laughs) Oh, I mean, I think that happens quite often, right? It, it when does, yeah. When lawyers make the transition to in-house. So what were your expectations before going in-house? And how do they compare with your experience so far? <laughs> I mean, I know you did a secondment, so you probably had quite a good idea. Sure. That being said, though, can you share a bit more insight? Uh, absolutely. Um, so I, was de- I think I was struck by two things when I moved in-house. First was the sheer variety and pace of work. You know, in private practice, you tend to specialize a lot more, whereas in-house, you really are dealing with a very broad range of matters and disputes. And I had some idea of that before joining, but the number of like global businesses and subject areas that I've worked on since joining Shell has far exceeded my expectations. And it's just made the move so much more interesting The other thing I would say is I noticed the need to really integrate yourself into the business. In private practice, so in private practice, I think the most effective lawyers are those who have a a decent understanding of the client's business, right? Yeah. That commercial awareness, (laughs) buzzword for our listeners. What is commercial awareness? (laughs) 
But when you're working in-house, you really need to understand that business inside out, where it sits in the market, what kind of challenges it's facing. You've really got to understand that broader context to allow you to offer those business clients the more commercial and legal and strategic input. So, you know, understanding of the market and where we sit in it is absolutely key. The other thing that I kind of knew before going in, but but has really been reiterated, is that need to communicate in a very, very succinct and targeted way. The business in-house, they don't need, uh, nor will they thank you for an essay on legal theory. You know, they just need, (laughs) it might be interesting, (laughs) it might be interesting and can be explored in one's own time, but, you know, they really just need an answer and they need an explanation of the risks and the cost implications. But, But that's really what you're gearing towards when you're giving them advice. So it sounds that you have had to change a bit your approach to legal issues when you moved in-house. Essentially, the advice has to be much more commercial, just Mm -hmm. really understand the business Mm -hmm. and much more succinct. So how has your experience with ANO helped you achieve that level of advice? And are there any other changes that you've had Mm -hmm. to make to the way you approach legal issues? So I think overall, the way that I approach legal issues, it's still pretty similar, Except, like you say, that the way in which you communicate your advice is just in a much shorter form, succinct, targeted way. You send an email to a lawyer, to a business lawyer or someone more senior, and it's a very, um, you know, the style of the email is what is the headline point and what is further detail? And it's very snappy and very to the point. Um, The other thing is, although I approach legal issues in a similar way, I don't perhaps have as much time to do a deep dive like I would in private practice. At the same time, that's not expected. Certainly at Shell, we do a lot of the substantive legal work ourselves, but for those larger cases or the very specialist issues, we would you know, consider turning to a barrister or a law firm for those kind of things. The other thing I would say, I mean, you touched on this in the question, uh, Bianca, is what else do you draw on from private practice when you move in a house? And the, the other thing I would say that A&O gave me a lot of was very substantive experience running cases and also familiarizing myself with the various legal processes and procedures. And what that means is that I can have a much more informed discussion when I instruct external counsel because I've been in their shoes. And that feeds through as well in terms of stakeholder management in-house. At A&O, like I said, I got to work very closely with a lot of clients and manage some really key relationships. And that has stood me in excellent stead for a role in-house where managing a very broad range of stakeholders is absolutely critical. Okay. So with that in mind, what does a typical day look like for you now (laughs) in-house? And can you compare it with a typical day when you were at A&O? Sure. <laughs> so at A&O, look, I was a disputes lawyer. So I was working on some very large cases and I felt like I had much more visibility as to what my day or week looked like, which clients I was dealing with, which team members I'd be working alongside. It was almost easier to map. I would say my role now is pretty different. So Although I still have a large number of global matters that I handle day to day, I do tend to move between cases a lot more frequently. And it's not unusual for me to have five or six calls in one day related to different matters. And I have to say, occasionally, this feels like, you know, that opening scene from Saving Private Ryan, where they're storming the beaches (laughs) of Normandy and uh, things are flying from you, you know, from different directions. 
Um, of course, I'm being a bit hyperbolic there, but you know, it really is a very dynamic environment. But what that means is that the work is very varied and really, you know, interesting and challenging. And you know, all of that I think lends itself to a very varied and diverse workload. And that was one of the main things that drew me in-house from the get-go. Yeah, I remember when I went on Pius the Convent, I found it so strange because. <laughs> I was used, obviously, at ANO, I had my cases, I had my deals. Yes, Something yes. would occasionally pop up to kind of disturb the way I had planned my day to go. <laughs> but that wasn't very frequent. And then I went in-house and I would start with this to-do list at the beginning of the day. And then like so many things would come in that by the end of the day, it would be more or less the same. That's very typical of that kind of thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know, Mike Tyson famously said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And uh, <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's very much that kind of thing. But, you know, it, it's a really great skill set to have. It's a very transferable skill and it takes some time getting used to. But that ability to more seamlessly move between matters is a really, really useful one to have. And it definitely develops. My ability to do that is a lot better than, say, it was when I first joined. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a skill that you can strengthen as you spend more time in-house. Just as a lawyer working in a law firm, it's important to be aware of the fact that the in-house lawyers that you work with, who are your clients, mm -hmm. do have to straddle across quite a lot of different matters, because I think that yes. kind of yes. informs the way you communicate your information and advice. It does. And yeah. It does. And I, one, of the, one of the other key things is, you know, often in private practice, yes, you've got these cases where you've got longer term visibility. You also have your more urgent matters. And when you have those, it's very much go, go, go. And it's, everything's needed immediately. And of course, you have that in-house. But in some cases, they, they are less urgent. You know, the, the, the definition of urgence sometimes is different in-house. And when the business lawyer says, I really need you to get back to me, he means one or two weeks time, which is all right. And it means that you can... <laughs> not one or two hours? What? <laughs> not one or two hours. And, and, it, and that allows you to really, you know, I, I spend a lot of time just moving things around, you know, because it allows you to um, deal with things that have come up that are more urgent. And a lot of it just comes down to, as in private practice, managing expectations. That's absolutely key. So what are the opportunities for progression in an in-house role? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I think a question that is often asked of that. So I think you have to understand that going into an in-house role means that you don't have the same predictable progression as in a law firm. So you're not necessarily going to be able to map out the next five years as an associate with the accompanying yeah. salary, for example. A lot of in-house teams are typically much smaller, so there may be fewer chances of promotion on that front. But that's not to say that you won't progress. I think you just have to be versatile in your role, willing to consider a lot of other things, but also just be realistic about the time that it takes. And okay. personally, for the right role, I think it's worth it. Perhaps come back to me in a five years' time, Bianca. I'll tell you if I feel the same. We'll follow up on this. Indeed. Where is Chantel now, just in five years' yes. time? Bianca, the partner, can ask me that question. <laughs> so... With that in mind, with the opportunities and all the insights that you have given so far, 
what advice would you give to graduates and actually even qualified lawyers who mm-hmm. are considering a career in-house, but maybe they're waiting out just to gain a bit more experience in private practice before even thinking that this move is realistic? What would you tell them? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, because I, I really do think, having done this quite recently, I think there are definitely some points that spring to mind when I when I think about this question. The first thing I'd say is really think about the timings. So some people move in-house at an earlier stage of their careers. Some people move a bit later on. Personally, I feel like I've really benefited from making that move at a slightly later stage around the five or six PQE mark with that amount of experience under my belt. It's certainly given me a lot more confidence to run with things. I feel more comfortable managing stakeholders. And as I said before, you know, it's given me an ability to have a much more informed discussion with external counsel when instructing them. So in my view, it's probably helpful to get at least a couple of years of of legal experience and to start to develop your business acumen before you, you move across and you can start advising the business. The other thing I would say, and it may sound obvious, so apologies for stating the obvious, (laughs) but really do your your research. In-house roles, they're not like private practice roles. They are fewer and farther between in many cases, but they also vary significantly in terms of the type of work that you're going to get to do. So like I said before, a lot of those roles are in smaller teams, but they can offer a really wonderful smorgasbord of work. And in my experience, it's worth keeping an open mind to those opportunities rather than necessarily limiting yourself from the get-go to roles that you think perfectly mirror your private practice experience. I mean, I think what you want in a role also changes with your seniority and the more experience you gain just in, in the law firm as well. Absolutely. Even through your training contract, you might think, yeah. oh, I really like this area of law, but then you find something else. So I yes. assume that's yes. even more important once you qualify and you get to do substantive client work. It really is, you know, and even within, you know, if you are a litigator or you're in corporate or you're in banking, you know, you still have a range of different deals that you're dealing with or cases. And so you're getting that variation. I think what you get more in-house is that variation across a lot of different subject matters. So particularly in smaller teams, you know, my role is more unusual because I'm in a specialist litigation team. But in a lot of in-house teams, you might be doing commercial work and some employment work and some banking work and some (laughs) litigation. And if you're up for the challenge, there really is a, a wonderful opportunity, I think, to get that variation in the role and to see what you enjoy doing, like you do as a trainee, really. You know, you kind of get to move around between seats. Ultimately, though, I think what you need to do is to have a really honest conversation with yourself about what you really want if you're going to make that move. It is a big move. And so I think you need to be um, ready for it. You need to know what you want whilst keeping an open mind. I would also say, you know, make sure you're asking the right questions in an interview. What kind of work will you be doing? Will you be working with a particular part of a business or is your role going to cut across different business lines like mine does? Key question, how often do they use external counsel? Because that is likely to inform the amount of substantive legal work that you're going to be able to do. 
Ultimately, Bianca, there's so much out there and looking for an in-house role to me sometimes feels like hunting for Easter eggs on a Taylor Swift album. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of that look what you made me do video. That was full of Easter eggs. I think I watched full of Easter eggs. Just a 15 minute breakdown of that three minute (laughs) video. Pretty pretty much. And the point I'm getting at is, you know, they're there. It just takes a while to find them. And you just have to kind of persevere um, with that. I think that's incredibly helpful. And I'm sure our listeners have learned so much from your advice and just from your insight. And now moving slightly to the less serious part Mm -hmm. of this interview. This season, we have changed the off the wall questions to a game of two truths and a lie. Right. So... You will tell me three statements, mm-hmm. two being true, one being a lie. And then I will have about 30, 40 seconds to just ask you a few questions to try to determine which one is the truth or and which one is the lie. Well, this is a curveball. I didn't know the latter part was coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely coming. And just to warn you, in the previous episode, I got the lie very quickly. So yeah. Wow. Okay. Fine. No pressure, Let's no pressure on myself to repeat the experience, obviously. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> and obviously it's, it's on me now to defeat you. So uh, yeah, exactly. Bring it on. So we're ready. What are your three statements? So firstly, I was bitten by a small shark off the coast of Cape Town as a teenager. I, I will spare you the baby shark song, although it's now in your head for the rest of the day. <laughs> oh uh, second thing, I've been stitched up by a vet without anesthesia. And thirdly, I visited Delhi 17 times in two years, but never saw the Taj Mahal. Oh, my God. Well, two of them contain injuries as well. (laughs) They do, unfortunately. How old were you when you were bitten by the baby shark? I was 14. Okay. How come it was just like one bite? Like, how did you manage to get away? I assume that once there's one bite, there's blood, the shark swims <laughs> faster. Like, I just have so, so many so horror firstly, movies in mind. Honestly, I was bitten. I mean, it was literally a nick. We were in a boat and it was on the way of getting back into the boat that we spotted it. It nicked me, but we got me in in time. Okay. And now it makes more sense because you're in a boat, so you could get on the boat quicker. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Then... How come you never visited the Taj Mahal? How can you go 17 times without visiting the Taj Mahal? <laughs> yeah, this just makes me look for work. Back. It was all for work. I uh, was in the Supreme Court of India doing a case, and okay. I was working in Hong Kong at the time, and I flew back and forth to Delhi uh, 17 times, back and forth. We were often in court um, for a short period and then back on a plane. So I never had a chance, unfortunately, to, to visit the Taj Mahal. But how about the last time, like when the case finished, didn't you take like just a day as a buffer to to just visit the probably the most important, <laughs> the most famous <laughs> tourist objective there is? Okay. And lastly, tell me more about your other injury, <laughs> your other injury story. Uh, because so we the, were... these do seem plausible, so I'm very intrigued. So we were in the Drakensberg Mountains in South Africa, And I was about seven or eight years old and I was running around the pool, uh, caught my knee on the side of an umbrella and needless to say, caused myself some injury. There was no doctor because we were near the mountains. And so we had to drive 20 minutes to a vet. My father handed me his rubber key ring for his keys and said, bite hard. And uh, that was my visit. (laughs) How many stitches? Probably about seven or eight. 
that's horrible. <laughs> it's not great. I've been, I've been sish without anesthesia before, so I actually know what I'm talking yeah, about. That's my memory, needless to say. Okay. I have... Okay. Okay. I will say that the lie is... I think is the Taj Mahal one. I just can't... Because you love you love traveling, you love learning about different cultures. I, I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. Okay. I, I say the third statement is the lie. Is that your final answer? It is my final answer. You're not going to call a friend. Um, <laughs> well, I'm delighted to have defeated you. That is incorrect. <gasps> no. That, well, that is correct. I, I have not, unfortunately, visited the Taj Mahal. Um, what was the lie? The lie was the shark. No. Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, but it sounded so believable. You had the birth. Well, you were just It's nicked. all on the delivery. It's all on the you delivery, Bianca. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Well, this was incredibly fun. Uh, Indeed. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for being on the podcast. Thanks a lot for being so honest and open about your experience. And I'm sure our listeners have found this incredibly helpful. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Don't forget to tune in for our next episode, where we will discuss graduate opportunities in legal tech with one of our trainees who did a secondment in our legal tech team, one of our graduates who did the advanced delivery graduate scheme, and of course, our very own in-house legal tech senior engagement manager. Thank you all for listening. And remember to check out our social media and graduate recruitment website.